Greetings in the name of the Triune God. Welcome to the Rural Midwestern Pastor Podcast. My name is David Johnson, and I am blessed to pastor the rural congregation known as Samanach Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us as we explore together how the scriptures declare the good news that God's kingdom has come to us in Jesus. If you'd like more information on our rural congregation, please visit samanachbaptistchurch.org. That's S-O-M-O-N-A-U-K, baptistchurch.org. Thank you for listening. May grace, peace, and everything good be yours in King Jesus. Good morning. Welcome to the online gathering for Samanach Baptist Church for Sunday, February 27th, 2022. My name is David Johnson. I'm blessed to serve as the pastor here at Samanach Baptist Church. If you're local and you are not a part of a local congregation, we would love to welcome you to our in-person services that gather every Sunday at 10 a.m., There's nothing like in-person worship and would just love to welcome you to be with us here in person as we sing, as we break bread, as we open the scriptures and seek to encounter a word from our King every Sunday as we gather. A few announcements. Uh, Every uh, Monday at one o'clock in the afternoon, we have midday Bible study here at Samanach Baptist Church in our fellowship hall. We gather around Paul's letter to the Galatians and have a conversation about how we as a church can be a community that has a gospel culture. We study Galatians together every Monday afternoon at one o'clock. We'd love to have you welcome us. Also Wednesday evenings, we have a midweek Bible study at six o'clock. Presently, we are meeting with Sandwich Church of the Nazarene. This coming Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. What is Ash Wednesday, you may ask? That is the first day of Lent, a practice of a 40-day wilderness experience leading up to Holy Week. We're going to commemorate that Ash Wednesday um, together with our Nazarene brothers and sisters. So I'd especially love to welcome you to a special service with them, Samanach Baptist Church and Sandwich Church of the Nazarene. That is this coming Wednesday at 6 o'clock. This worship this morning is called to worship by a reading from Psalm 99. The Lord is king. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called on his name. They cried to the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them in the pillar of cloud. They kept his decrees and the statutes that he gave them. O Lord, our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoing. Extol the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. This is God's word. Let us pray. King Jesus, we gather because 
through your life, death, resurrection, and exaltation, Psalm 99 is about you. You are king of heaven and earth. You are exalted over all the peoples, and we gather to bear witness to you, the king of heaven and earth. You are mighty. You love justice. You have established equity, executed justice and righteousness among your people. We gather together to extol you, to worship at your footstool, to proclaim that you are holy, that you are the God to whom we cry, and you are the God to whom we expect, from whom we expect an answer. You are a forgiving God. You are also an avenger of wrongdoings. So we gather together this day to remember the one who on a holy mountain was revealed in all his glory. O God, who before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed his glory upon the holy mountain, grant to us that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Our reading from the epistles is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, through chapter 4, verse 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Since then we have such a hope, we act with great boldness. Not like Moses who put a veil over his face to keep the people of Israel from gazing at the end of the glory that was being set aside, but their minds were hardened. Indeed, to this very day, when they hear the reading of the old covenant, that same veil is still there since only in Christ is it set aside. Indeed, to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit, Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. We have renounced the shameful things that one hides. We refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. This is God's word. It's now our privilege to respond to God's word by entering into a time of prayer together. God, breaker of dividing walls, we bring our prayers to you with confidence in the name of our Lord Jesus. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. 
we pause and ask for peace in the world, for peace in Ukraine. Eternal God, in your perfect kingdom, no sword is drawn but the sword of righteousness. No strength is known but the strength of love. So we ask you to mightily spread abroad your spirit over Russia and Ukraine, that all peoples may be gathered under the banner of the Prince of Peace, as children of one Father, to whom be dominion and glory now and forever. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. Father, who is full of mercy, your Son taught us to pray for our enemies. So we pray for our enemies. O God, the creator of all, whose Son commanded us to love our enemies, lead them and us from prejudice to truth. Deliver them and us from hatred, cruelty, and revenge. And in your good time, enable us all to stand reconciled together before you in Jesus Christ, in whose name and in your mercy we ask that you would hear our prayer. We now pray for our Christian brothers and sisters in both Russia and the Ukraine. Kind Father, we've seen your children in the Ukraine, outdoors, on their knees, in the cold, in danger, praying to you for peace. We join them in cooperation and in prayer that they would continue to, and the church in both Russia and the Ukraine would bear witness to King Jesus would bear witness to the Prince of Peace, that they would and that we would together hope in the promise of Isaiah. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they train for war any more. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. God, whose justice shines like the sun, you bless all who seek first your kingdom and righteousness. Fill our hearts with the spirit of Jesus' blessings that we may live this day in simplicity, mercy, and joy. Through Jesus, who taught us to do so, we now pray together for the coming of your reign. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our reading from the Gospels today comes from Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 36. Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 36. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone and they kept silent. And in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. This is the gospel of King Jesus. Let us pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock. You are our redeemer. And all of us said together, Amen. According to Robert Fulgham, all I really need to know I learned in kindergarten. I'm always taken aback by the transcendent truth of his poem. The highest highlight for me is the conclusion, especially in early 2022. The poem concludes with these words. And then, speaking of kindergarten, remember the Dick and Jane books? And the first word you learned, the biggest word of all, look. Everything you need to know is in there somewhere. The golden rule and love and basic sanitation, ecology and politics and equality and sane living. Take any of those items and extrapolate it into sophisticated adult terms and apply it to your family life, or your work, or government, or your world, and it holds true, clear, and firm. Think what a better world it would be if all, the whole world, had cookies and milk about three o'clock every afternoon, and then lay down with our blankies for a nap. Or if all governments had a basic policy to always put things back where they found them and to clean up their own mess. And it is still true, no matter how old you are, when you go out into the world, it's best 
to hold hands and stick together. And all of God's people said, amen. There is so much goodness, warmth, and hospitality present in Fulgham's poem. In fact, this poetry for me brings to mind the bumpy texture of the blankie I took with me to nap time in kindergarten. I would clutch this blanket, fighting hard to stay awake, sucking my index finger in the early afternoon each day of kindergarten. If only we could all practice what we learned in those days. Before the debate begins about how impractical this hope for the world is, can we at least let this this poem stand for a moment? Can we listen to it? Can we allow the wisdom from kindergarten to alert us to what is actually wrong with the world? In more and more ways, Fulgham's poem recalls Jesus' words to me. With Jesus, the poem invites us to look. With the poem, Jesus invites us to love others the way we want to be loved. With Christ, Fulgham tells us to rest and to, above all, stick together. The debate about messages like we find and all I really need to know I learned in kindergarten reminds me of another debate. The debate that rises in our hearts that some of us sometimes have the courage to voice when we actually listen to Jesus, when we actually take his words seriously, a debate begins to form in our minds. Jesus says to us, blessed are the peacemakers. And if we're honest, the voice in our head says, I'm not sure, Jesus. I think you meant blessed are the biggest militaries. Jesus later tells us, blessed are you when people persecute you. Wrong again, Jesus. What you should have said was, Blessed are those who find no inconvenience to the practice of their religion. Give to everyone who begs from you, Jesus says. Listen here, Mary's boy. Don't even get me started on that or on what you have to say about my money, my sex life, or how I should regard my enemies. None of that is practical, Jesus. So you now cease and desist. Stop telling me how to live. Just Go back to Nazareth, resume work in the carpenter's shop. Beloved, I wish I was being entirely sarcastic. The truth is all of us, myself included, are guilty of DWJWD. Write that down, DWJWD. We're all guilty of dismissing what Jesus would do. And in those moments, it's most often the God of what we regard as practical. That is the God before whom we bow instead of Jesus, the one to whom all authority in heaven on earth has been given. In kindergarten, Dick and Jane books told us over and over again to look. During Jesus' incarnation, the voice of God likewise proclaims to us on a couple of different occasions, this is my son, listen to him. From both the Jordan River 
and the top of Mount Tabor this morning. God says, listen to Jesus. In the Jewish scriptures, to listen is synonymous with obeying. So when the voice of God from heaven says, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. He's not only telling us to listen to him, but telling us to obey him. Beloved, there is no thing more important for us than to obey God's voice that commands, listen to Jesus. Because Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and exaltation, which at his exaltation, Pentecost happened, and the Spirit was given, Jesus has thereby made it possible for us to have a different kind of life, a kind of life that is obedient to Jesus. That kind of life will have, according to Jesus, a certain quality to it, a quality that is a bit like kindergarten. Listen to my paraphrase of Jesus in Luke 18, verses 16 and 17. But Jesus called for them and said, let the little kindergartners come to me and do not stop them for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little kindergartner will never enter it. How can we find, how can we practice a quality of life that listens to Jesus. The Mount of Transfiguration teaches us this one big truth. We must behold Jesus in faith to become like Jesus in character. We must behold Jesus in faith to become like Jesus in character. This is what our reading of the epistles reminded us of. In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, Paul says to us, and all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing or beholding the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. We must behold Jesus in faith to become like Jesus in character. Let's unpack together this morning what we will see when we look upon Jesus in faith so that we might become like him in character. Verse 28 of chapter nine. Now about eight days after these sayings. So that's Luke's way of saying to understand why we need Jesus to be transfigured, why we need Jesus to be manifested before us. We need to grasp the sayings that happened eight days before Jesus ascended Mount Tabor with Peter, James, and John. First, if you look back at verse 18, the text says, once when Jesus was praying alone with only the disciples near him, he asked them, and then there's this famous exchange that other gospel writers have. Who do the crowds say that I am, Jesus asked. They answered, John the Baptist, brothers Elijah, and still others that one of the ancient prophets has arisen. Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Messiah of God. What draws me to that saying is the fact that it begins with this. Once when Jesus was praying alone with only the disciples near him. Here is what we behold when we look upon Jesus in faith. In Jesus, we behold the God who chooses to be who God is with us. In Jesus, God chooses to be who God is with us. 
When God takes on human flesh, he always, especially in Luke's gospel, chooses to be alone with us. Alone with us. That's an understanding phrase because I can understand the need to be alone. But this is a different kind of alone. I know the need to be alone, to be able to drop all the expectations that I imagine others place upon me, but I also know the gift of freedom to be with others and be the same person I am when I am alone. Do you know that gift? The gift of being able to be with others and be the same person I am when I'm alone? Does that resonate with you? We are who we are when no one else is around. And the gift of real relationship is to be that same person that I am alone when I am with others with whom we share deep love. Once when Jesus was praying alone with only the disciples near him. According to Jesus' servant, Luke, Jesus always does apocalypse. Do you remember that word? Apocalypse does not mean the end of the world. Russia and Ukraine are at war and the Baptists are preaching about apocalypse. Apocalypse just means an unveiling. Jesus always does apocalypse. Jesus always unveils something when he's with his disciples, with his friends, when he's with us. Another apocalypse, again, another unveiling, happens earlier in Luke. Luke chapter 3, 21 and 22, Luke says, Now when all the people were being baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, and heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and just like on the top of Mount Tabor, a voice comes from heaven, You are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. When Jesus was with all the people, being baptized, praying with all the people. Beloved, in Jesus, at his baptism and his transfiguration, God chooses to be who God is with us. While he was praying with us. While he was immersed in the Jordan River with us. While he was transfigured on Mount Tabor with us and for us. God chooses to reveal who God is in Jesus, and he chooses that revelation to happen while he's with us. A while ago, the Christian Century magazine asked pastors, theologians, and others to answer this question. What's the gospel in seven words? Initially, I wasn't fond of the project. First of all, I'm not interested in minimizing the message of the gospel. A message as good as the gospel doesn't need to be minimized at all. Nevertheless, I, I appreciate the exercise because it forces us, theologians, pastors, and others, to consider, okay, what's most important? If I only had seven words, what seven words would I choose? Will Williman who's an author and a pastor that I am very grateful for, answered the question like this. What's the gospel in seven words? God refuses to be God without us. God refuses to be God without us. That answer took me a while to accept. 
Because that answer, of course, requires elaboration. And of course, he was given the opportunity to further explain why he chose those seven words. And his explanation seals the deal for me that I agree with his seven word explanation of the gospel. It's not the only seven word explanation of the gospel. Other authors that I respect answered it differently and their answers are just as good, but I love his explanation. Listen to Pastor Williman. God refuses to be God without us. We ask God to say something definite and God getting personal sent Jesus Christ. We were surprised. God was other than we imagined. We can't make God into whatever we please. Jesus demonstrated that God is better than omnipotent, omniscient, or any other high sounding abstraction. God is love embodied, nonviolent, relentlessly seeking, convening, suffering love. Human happiness is life lived in response to the God we've got. It's good news because God really was in Jesus Christ reconciling the world to God. We can be with God. We can be with God because God refuses to be God without us. Jesus is revealed to be the Messiah of God and with his friends, his disciples with us. And we must, we, the one who've been gathered around Jesus must behold Jesus in faith to become like Jesus in character. And that God that we behold in faith is the God who chooses to be who God is with us. Second, in Jesus we behold a God who suffers. Jesus is praying alone, but his disciples are with him. And that becomes an opportunity for Jesus to be revealed as, in the words of St. Peter, the Messiah of God. Once those words emerge from Peter's lips, Jesus begins another apocalypse, another unveiling of what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah of God and what it means to be a disciple of this never before imagined Messiah. In order to defeat the true enemies of God's people, sin and death, God in Jesus wills to undergo great suffering. Verse 21, he sternly ordered them, and commanded them not to tell anyone, saying the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And then he doesn't stop there. He then goes on to say, those of you that are with me, you must also deny yourselves, take up your cross, and follow me. Jesus chooses to be rejected by religious and political power, Jesus runs headlong into us and the powerful people we have appointed. And we respond by sending our sins into Jesus. And instead of lashing out, he forgives us. He heals us. He inaugurates the kingdom of God for us. And he now invites us to obey the word of his father, which what was that word on the top of Mount Tabor? Listen to him. We must behold in faith Jesus, to become like Jesus in character, and in that Jesus we behold a God who suffers. Do we believe that God is a God who suffers? German theologian Jürgen Moltmann is listening to the voice of God in Jesus when he writes, a God who cannot suffer is poorer than any man. 
For a God who is incapable of suffering is a being who cannot be involved. He cannot weep for he has no tears, but the one who cannot suffer cannot love either. So he is also a loveless being. But the Christian faith, but the Christian faith has proclaimed that God suffered in the sufferings of Jesus. God died on the cross of Christ so that we might live and rise again in the future. Where have we been thus far? First, in Jesus, whom we behold in faith, we behold God who chooses to be who God is with us. And second, in Jesus, we behold a God who suffers. Finally, in Jesus, we behold God as he truly is. This is the tone underneath the story Luke tells of Jesus' transfiguration. Now, about eight days after these sayings, again, Luke wants us to have these sayings ringing in our ears before we climb with Peter, James, John, and Jesus, Moses, and Elijah to the top of Mount Tabor. Why? Why must we have these sayings that happened eight days before transfiguration ringing in our ears? Because it is so very hard to believe that God chooses to be who God is with us. It is so very hard to believe that God chooses to be who God is with me. It is so very hard to believe that God chooses to be who God is with those people. It takes a burdensome faith to trust that in Jesus, we behold a God who suffers. Beloved, the transfiguration is God recognizing that we will find it difficult not to have some other idolatrous theology in our heads instead of a distinctively Christian understanding of God. Frankly, it's much easier to believe in the God of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and James Madison. These founding fathers were deists. They believed that God was creator, and that was about all they believed. He was distant and uninvolved. And if we are honest, deism can feel true at times. The Psalms are filled with prayers. We often pray when we feel more deist than Christian. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far off is what we pray when we pray Psalm 10. Is that okay to pray? It must be because it's in Israel's prayer book. It must be because at times it feels like deism is true. It feels like God is standing far off. It's feeling like God is on some distant remote island with no Wi-Fi, no data, no way to communicate with, just enjoying a cocktail and the sunshine while we languish in the world he created but a world he doesn't love and a world he is not involved in. That is the God of deism. And if we are honest, sometimes that is what life feels like. But brothers and sisters, I'm asking you to believe this morning that deism is not true. Not because I say it's not true, but because in Jesus, we behold God who chooses to be who God is with us. He's the God who is who he is when he's with us. The same God who is a certain way when he's alone is the same God he is when he is with us. That's why deism isn't true. 
deism isn't true, beloved, because in Jesus, we also behold a God who suffers. Beloved, so much of what is going on in the world right now, I don't understand. And to quote Mrs. Arable from E.B. White's Charlotte's Web. You remember Charlotte's Web? Charlotte is a common black spider. Wilbur is a pig that Fern loves and takes care of. And Mrs. Arable in Charlotte's Web says, I don't understand it, and I don't like what I can't understand. I don't understand it, and I don't like what I can't understand. Confession, I feel like Mrs. Arable a lot. I feel like Mrs. Arable a lot these days. To understand what Mrs. Arable doesn't understand, let's get to know her a bit. Mrs. Arable is Fern's mom. Fern has been sharing all that she has seen. Charlotte A. Cavatica spin in her web and all that she has heard Charlotte say. Can I read to you this morning? Can I read to you about Fern, her mother, and another character named Dr. Dorian? Fern disappeared after a while. Walking down the road toward Zuckerman's, her mother dusted the sitting room. As she worked, she kept thinking about Fern. It didn't seem natural for a little girl to be so interested in animals. Finally, Mrs. Arable made up her mind that she would pay a call on old Dr. Dorian and ask his advice. She got in the car and drove to his office in the village. Dr. Dorian had a thick beard. He was glad to see Mrs. Arable and gave her a comfortable chair. It's about Fern, she explained. Fern spends entirely too much time in the Zuckerman's barn. It doesn't seem normal. She sits on a milk stool in a corner of the barn cellar near the pig pen and watches animals hour after hour. She just sits and listens. Dr. Dorian leaned back and closed his eyes. How enchanting, he said. It must be real nice and quiet down there. Homer has some sheep, hasn't he? Yes, said Mrs. Arable, but it all started with that pig we let Fern raise on a bottle. She calls him Wilbur. Homer bought the pig, and ever since it left our place, Fern has been going to her uncle's to be near it. I've been hearing things about that pig, Dr. Dorian said, opening his eyes. They say he's quite a pig. Have you heard about the words that appeared in the spider's web? Asked Mrs. Arable nervously. Yes, replied the doctor. Well, do you understand it? Asked Mrs. Arable. Understand what? Do you understand how there could be any writing in a spider's web? Oh no, said Dr. Dorian. I don't understand it, but for that matter, I don't understand how a spider learned to spin a web in the first place. When the words appeared, everyone said they were a miracle, but nobody pointed out that the web itself is a miracle. What's miraculous about a spider's web, said Mrs. Arable. I don't see why you say a web is a miracle. It's just a web. Ever tried to spin one, asked Dr. Dorian. Mrs. Arable shifted uneasily in her chair. No, she replied, but I can crochet a doily and I can knit a sock. Sure, said the doctor, but somebody taught you, didn't they? My mother taught me. Well, who taught a spider? A young spider knows how to spin a web without any instructions from anybody. Don't you regard that as a miracle? I, su 
suppose so, said Mrs. Arable. I never looked at it that way before. Still, I don't understand how those words got into the web. I don't understand it, and I don't like what I can't understand. None of us do, said Dr. Dorian, sighing. I'm a doctor. Doctors are supposed to understand everything, but I don't understand everything, and I don't intend to worry about it. I don't understand everything, and I don't intend to worry about it. When Dr. Dorian says that, two people come to my mind. The first is Jesus, who said to us earlier, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. Elsewhere, Jesus invites us to a life that he has made possible, a life that isn't dominated by worry, especially worry when things happen that we don't understand. Beloved, I think that's a bit of what it means to receive the kingdom like a kindergartner. Worry is not how Jesus wants his disciples to respond to that which we don't understand. So first, Dr. Dorian reminds me of Jesus. Second, Dr. Dorian reminds me of Cheryl. The day before, Cheryl was not able to say goodbye to her daughter, Rachel. She said to me between tears, Pastor, I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. And then after a few moments of no words and only sobs, Cheryl said to me, but when I don't understand, that's when I have to choose to trust. Beloved, in Jesus, we behold the God who chooses to be who God is with us. Brothers and sisters, in Jesus, we behold the God who suffers because God is love. And when we don't understand that, and when situations in the world make us wonder if that's true, let us choose to trust together. Amen. Let us pray. King Jesus, we pray with the psalmist, why do you stand so far off? King Jesus, we pray with Jesus, why have you forsaken us? King Jesus, we confess to you that we don't understand and we don't like it when we don't understand. King Jesus, we confess to you that our lives are often dominated by worry when things happen that we don't understand. So I ask King Jesus that by the spirit, you would help us to trust that you have made a life possible that isn't dominated by worry, but is characterized by trust. Give us faith to believe that in you, we encounter the God who chooses to be who he is when he's with us. And may we behold in faith that in you, we encounter the God who suffers. And by beholding you in that way, may we together as a body 
and as individuals begin to resemble that God we behold in Jesus. Speak that healing and empowering word to us, King Jesus. We pray through the Son and by the Spirit and all of us said together, amen. Thank you for joining me for this online gathering. I now invite you to receive our final benediction. And now may the God of peace and hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And all of us said together, amen. May grace and peace and everything good be yours in King Jesus.